Wow. Bless the Lord. What can you say today as you consider what God thinks of you, how God identifies you in his word versus how you might have been told to identify yourself, how maybe you've been taught to identify yourself, how maybe you've chosen to identify yourself in a culture and a society where we're told that we need to create our own path, that we are enough in and of ourselves, and that we need to follow our hearts and our minds. When God says, I have so much more for you than that. Amen? Amen. God says, I have an abundance for you, which is at such a deeper, more significant level of identity than what we could ever recognize that's just on the surface. Amen? Amen. How I identify myself determines how I live my life. Maybe not an absolute statement, uh, but it's a pretty good one. And I, it was roughly one of the things that was in the, the video earlier this morning. How I identify myself will determine very much how I live my life. We're talking about identity crisis. And some of the hope and the good news of Jesus and of God's written word and the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives to understand our identity So as I I prepare for this series, I learned that in psychology, identity crisis is actually a thing. It's been defined this way. A personal psychosocial conflict, and that just means in the mind and in our relationships with others, psychosocial. A personal conflict, especially in adolescence, but be very clear, not only then. That involves confusion about my social role. Where do I fit in? And often a sense of loss of continuity. In other words, things get disrupted and they change. That's very true at adolescence when the hormones kick in more than they ever had before. So I have a sense of loss of continuity or of of what I understood and what was normal to me. It's been challenged by something. A sense of loss of continuity to my personality. We all face it. We all face it often enough. More than once. Potentially any time that we face a major challenge in life. Like adolescence. Increase in hormones. Like changing schools, if you've ever had that experience. Or maybe going from having been taught at home and then moving into a public school experience. And what a shift and a change that is. Who, who, who am I now with all these people? Moving, relocating, trying to get a sense of where do I fit in now in this neighborhood. Is there anybody around here my age that I could associate with and get to know? Getting a job, losing a job, changing a job. 
How about parenting, becoming a parent? I listened recently to a podcast with a young father who's also a pastor and how becoming a parent for him became such a big shift in his identity as a father where he admitted, I thought it was going to be a whole lot easier. I thought I was going to be a great dad because I'm a great guy, he thought. (laughs) And how much of a challenge it was. And how much a challenge it was to his identity. Sickness. And how that affects, who am I now? How do I fit? How can I contribute? Death. Betrayal. You ever been let down? Man, that can really affect our our worth and our identity to say, why did that happen? Is there something wrong with me? That somebody would betray me or let me down? Did I cause that? And those conflicts within us, within our minds. Where do I fit who I am? Who am I? And why did this happen to me? Maybe retirement. Maybe an accident. Uh, Earlier this year, a friend of ours, along with his three children, driving in his car, had a major car accident. The car flipped. It did not roll. It flipped. End over end. Three kids in the car. None of them was hurt. And when something like that happens, I'll mention him one more time a little bit later, but when something like that happens, you probably stop and evaluate what's really important, do you think? And he identified, as a follower of Jesus, he identified in a new and a powerful way a belief in angelic protection. That God's angels serve us, his word says, they minister to those who will inherit salvation. Imagine this, in all seriousness. Imagine if Canada were overpowered and taken over by invaders of some kind. Somehow there was a coup and we came under the rule of somebody that we never expected to. We're all rounded up. We're all gave, given a small piece of living quarter. We're all put in the same kind of jumpsuit clothes. We're even given similar haircuts, regardless of gender. And all of the things that we identified that define us then how would we identify? And so many of the things that we use to identify ourselves are taken away from us. And we all know we look pretty similar. We've all been brought down very low. Everybody looks very similar. It's hard to differentiate. Where would we find our identity and our value at that point? Remember a number of years ago visiting Auschwitz in Poland course one of the one of the most moving experiences of our lives 
and then going to the Holocaust Museum Memorial in Jerusalem. Unbelievable experience. But walking through the concentration camp at Auschwitz and seeing pictures of beautiful people who have been brought down to a devastating place as prisoners, Jewish prisoners, all in the same striped outfits, shaved heads. It was horrible. Any attempt to assert themselves and say, yeah, but don't you know who I am? Don't you know who I was? Don't you know how, how much I contributed to society and how valuable I am because of these things? None of those things mattered anymore. None of those things would be listened to. But were they still valuable? You better believe it. That every one of them was a precious creation of God. Known, as we talked about last week, from each of their mother's wombs. Not one of them a mistake. And that is true of you too. Amen? That is true of each and every one of us. I so appreciated those messages that we just saw. Amen? Isn't that awesome? Powerful. Praise the Lord. The heart of this message, the heart of this series is that if we strip away all of the trappings of our identities, the titles, the degrees, the professions, the possessions, the clothes, the cool hairdos, the, 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 the cool beards like Wolfgang's, Imagine Wolfgang without a beard, if you know who Wolfgang is. Even the names and the families and the nationalities stripped away from us, that those identities are not recognized. We're recognized instead by a number. Then we really look inside and we consider the questions, who am I? Do I still have an identity to claim? And on what basis do I make that claim? How do we protect our identity? Because those things have not been stripped away from us. But we need to fight against and protect what our true identity is rather than being drawn into and pulled into those other superficial identifications of who we are. They answer this this morning. We go to the New Testament, to the book of Ephesians, chapter 5. And I want to invite you, uh, if you could flip to that for me, please, the first slide on that. Will you read these with me? Ephesians chapter 6, verses uh, 10 and on. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We'll stop right there for the moment. This is this wonderful book that We've recommended to you Victory Over the Darkness. If you don't have a copy, if you've never read it, we just uh, we encourage you to get one. 
And if you'd like us to buy one for you, we will, and it'll cost you only $10. I think that's a good deal. It is not the Bible, but one of the reasons that we think so highly about it is because of how much of the Word of God is the underpinning of the writing of this book. The world and the flesh are two of the enemies of our sanctification, which is our change from the Holy Spirit into being identified as belonging to God, and then that process through our lives of our lives beginning to look more and more like that identification as we're continually being sanctified by the Holy Spirit. We also have a living personal enemy, Satan, who attempts to accuse, tempt, and deceive God's children. We saw those examples on those cards today on the first sides. Paul wrote about Satan, 2 Corinthians 2.11, we are not ignorant of his scheme. Perhaps Paul and the Corinthians weren't ignorant, but a lot of present-day Christians surely are. We live as though the kingdom of darkness does not even exist, many people do in our society, and our naivety in this area is exacting a crippling toll that keeps many Christians from experiencing freedom in Christ. The, The lack of a recognition that there is an enemy that is out to defeat us, to kill, to steal, and to destroy When all the trappings are taken away, what's left? We are left. But what are we now? Who are we? We are bodies and minds with eternal spirits. That's what God's word teaches. We're bodies and minds with eternal spirits. We are this completely undetachable spirit and mind, spirit and soul, or put them all together and call them a soul or a spirit, inhabiting this body, which will perish, but they will not. That soul, that spirit, that mind. What is left is that we are still children of the king. Amen, Amen? are we not? One more passage from here. Goes so well with those cards. Are you struggling with feelings of inferiority? To whom or to what are you inferior? You are a child of God, seated with Christ in the heavenly realms, Ephesians 2.6. Do you feel insecure? Your God will never leave you or forsake you, Hebrews 13.5. Inadequate? You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you, Philippians 4.13. Guilty? There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8, verse 1. Are you worried? You can have the peace of God and learn to cast your anxiety upon him, Philippians 4, verse 6. Do you doubt? God provides wisdom for the asking, James 1, verse 5, and so much more. Satan has distracted us in our society toward destruction. I believe that. I believe that as a wealthy country, one of the wealthiest countries in the world, we have so many shows to watch, games to play, restaurants to visit, sporting events to attend, lessons to sign up, and so much more, sports to play. 
I believe that in our society, Satan in his craftiness uses different tactics in different cultures. And in ours, he loves to keep us busy and occupied, preoccupied, distracted from what is meant to be most important to us. We need to be mindful of that. Let's go to verse 13. Let's read this together. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled round your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Now we could take every one of these pieces of, of, of what is metaphorically used by Paul, we could take every one of these pieces and, and spend a message or even more on them. We're going to touch them briefly today. The word stand keeps coming up. It, it, it comes up three times in this passage. So obviously it's very important. Stand as in withstand any attack that may come at you, subtle or not so subtle, from the enemy. Whether it's directly from the enemy or it's from what we need to Sometimes spiritually or often spiritually, what we need to withstand in the world and from the flesh and those things, which ultimately is because of the enemy. But those are the things that we war against. Satan is a thief and a liar. Jesus called him the father of lies in John 8, 44. He speaks lies into our world that busy is important and that there are so much more valuable things to do than to protect our spirits from him and our minds from him where the battle takes place. He uses different tactics in different regions and countries, but distraction seems to be particularly effective where we have been able to create new activities. And may I even say we're even able to create new sins of identification at times only because we're wealthy. So how do we protect ourselves from that prowler? How do we protect ourselves from identity theft? The short answer is, be very, very careful. (laughs) I'm sorry, I had not planned to do that. God is gracious, isn't he? The short answer is that we be very careful to keep personal information, personal financial information to ourselves when it comes to identity theft here in the world. Don't get deceived by people who pretend to be somebody that they're not in order to fool you into giving them your personal information. I recently saw in the news something that happened back in March, but, but there was an expose on it, a heartbreaking story of a woman in British Columbia who lost $960,000, including the proceeds from the sale of her house, to heartless scammers who threw on a dating website, convinced her that she was in love with somebody who did not exist. 
And men were able to manipulate her and threaten her and frighten her into thinking that she was going to be put in jail if she didn't comply. So that every penny that she ever had went to them. And then she took her life at the age of 61. Last year, 2018, the Canadian Anti-Fraud Center reported that romance scams in Canada amounted to a loss of almost $25 million. And there's, a, there's an aspect of, of identity theft that takes place in there. Because sometimes that only happens because personal information is given and then somebody else can pose to be you and take advantage. And just as ser- serious and terrible as that is, there's a spiritual thief who wants more than anything to distract us from learning what God wants us to know about who we are. Lying to us about who we are and who we can be and what will bring us value and fulfillment. It takes us right back to the garden, to the beginning of the series, when we saw that take place, when the serpent said to Eve and to Adam, you go ahead and eat. Then you'll become just like Paul uses this metaphor of the armor of God to describe what's needed. And he starts with truth. Stand firm with the, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. People in Paul's days typically wore long, longer garments, so a belt was essential to keep everything together and keep everything on. Truth holds it all together. What is truth? There's truth in the sense of honesty, and I believe Paul certainly meant this. And there's also unchanging truth, which is a term I prefer to use rather than absolute. Let me quickly say, Daniel Gillum was here last week. Some of you might have come a week ago Wednesday uh, to the seminar that he led. Thank the Lord for for, uh, the wonderful way that he's using that ministry from Ravi Zacharias. For quite some time, for a number of decades, there's just been thing, there's, there's been this thing called postmodernism, and the extreme of postmodernism, you may well know this, but the extreme of postmodernism at a philosophical level, created by a guy by the name of Jacques Derrida, who was from France, didn't even have no, that doesn't matter, Jacques Derrida, and if you take postmodernism to an extreme. This is what happens. That when you read something, it doesn't matter what the person who wrote it intended. If you have truly postmodern minds, and pop postmodernism, which is really where most people at, don't know that this is really where it goes. That if you read something written by somebody and, and, and they intended something in particular, that just doesn't matter. Postmodernism says essentially that you're God. What postmodernism says is when you read that, it means for you whatever you want it to mean. Now that would make sense with some things. But with other things, we would say, well, no, 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 this is what the writer intended. Isn't that really how we should understand it? Postmodernism says that doesn't matter. You throw that out the window. And if you come back and read that same thing, with a certain intent by the author, and you have a different idea of what it should mean, that's okay too. 
You don't have to be consistent in your thinking or in your interpretation. It means whatever the world you want it to mean. I I might take issue with that. And postmodernism would say, you know, there's no such thing as as absolute truth. Now, I I prefer to use the word unchanging, not because the word absolute scares me. I believe they're synonymous. I just believe we can get better traction in conversation if we use a word like unchanging. And I don't think, except in the realm of philosophy, where people just like to come up with all kinds of crazy ideas and everybody nods and says, whoa, that's deep and awesome. Yeah. Like maybe that chair you're sitting on doesn't even exist. But you know what? Two plus two equals four. And there are those who would say, that's okay for you. That's a lot of nonsense. Not that it's okay for you. Because it is. Because two plus two equals four. Truth is honesty, integrity, and it's also described by Jesus in John's Gospel. That there are some things that we should set out and apart to say, this is unchangingly true. Jesus said, John 8, 31, to the Jews who had believed him, he said, if you hold my teaching, you're really my disciples. Then you'll know the truth. He said, and the truth will, who knows, it set you free. Spiritually, we will be set free by the truth of Jesus Christ. And that good news. The breastplate of righteousness in place. What is righteousness? Again, it's at least two things. It's character and integrity. But it's also that spiritual legal position that we talked about other weeks of being justified and of being in Christ. So that we are not going to be detached from him because we are in him. He is in the Father. The Father is in him. The Spirit is in in both of them as well. And we are in Christ. We've been brought right in. For I tell you, Jesus said in Matthew 5.20, that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. And the people who heard that said, it is not possible for my behavioral righteousness to exceed that of the Pharisees. Because they do things by the book. Jesus' point was, that is not what will get you to heaven. We need to understand what Jesus did for us so that when God looks at you spiritually, he doesn't see to identify you by the things you did well or the things you did badly. What he sees is he sees Jesus in you. He says, you are so acceptable. You're so worthy, not in yourself, but in the righteousness of Christ. This righteousness, Paul would write in Romans 3, 22 to 24, this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ. God gives the grace. We respond with faith to all who believe. No difference between Jew and Gentile. For all of sin fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption, the payment that came through Christ Jesus. Woo! Oh, man. That's good. With your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. 
This is having the peace of Christ that rules in our hearts so that the attacks of the enemy will not unhinge us. John 16.33, Jesus said to his disciples when he's talking to them about his leaving them, he said, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In Christ, we may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. In this world, you will have trouble. May we not be surprised by trouble. That's what unhinges so many people. Where was God? Why didn't God prevent this from happening? Jesus told us, in this world, you will have trouble. And Jesus does not delight in that. But Jesus participates in our being able to get through it. Because we're in him and he's in us. Take heart. Jesus said, I have overcome the world. And with our feet we take peace then into the spiritual conflict that rages. Unknown to so many people. Ignored by so many but as ministers of, re- of reconciliation, we bring peace. It's a peace that's beyond our understanding that we've been called to live in. And I have found myself increasingly over these last weeks and months that I don't pray and ask God for peace anymore. I talk to God and I thank Him for His peace. Because I know that among so many other things, he has given me access to his peace. No matter how rough the waters, the boat will not sink. When our friend in the car was flipping and over in, he said, it was the most incredible thing that he felt more like he was floating. He was not afraid in that car. And now he will, as I said, he will testify to a belief like he never had before of God's protective presence through his ministering angels. Last slide. No? Yes? Yes. Read this with me, will you please? In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. And with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying. You know, I read something like that and I think there's really not much to say because God's word speaks so clearly. But I will anyway. (laughs) Faith, to put it one way, is a recognition that we need outside intervention. Faith is a recognition that we need outside intervention to heal our brokenness and fix our mess. And then we trust the one who brings that. In contrast, I had had coffee with a beloved brother this week who told me about somebody that I know who literally now has come to the place that he will say, I worship 
myself. I don't know how you get there. But I have no doubt he's not alone. Because that is really, that is the consistent end of the person who says, I don't believe in God, but I believe that I am enough. That is the extreme of where that can go. It makes, actually it makes perfect sense to me. But I think it's incredibly, incredibly, incredibly dangerous. Our faith is squarely in the person and the work of Jesus Christ, is it not? And then take the helmet of salvation. What is salvation? How important is a helmet for protection? Well, salvation is at least that important. It's even more important. The picture comes, this picture, as well as the picture of the breastplate of righteousness, come directly from Isaiah 59, verse 17. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. God speaks through his written word primarily. He speaks through the living word who is Jesus Christ and he speaks through the rhema word of the Holy Spirit who indwells you as a follower of Jesus. Neil Anderson in that book has lists of scriptures and and that's one of the reasons I, I really commend the book to you because when you come to those lists, he's compiled them so wonderfully so you can just read them through and say, this is what God says about me. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Prayer in some today is for every occasion. Every incident of life can be dealt with in prayer. Not just any prayer, but prayer in the Holy Spirit, in the very presence and life of the Spirit, who will inspire the prayers. How do we get there? We get there by exercising, by practicing, by doing, by not stopping, by not giving up. But we can't expect to hear as much from God if we're not familiar with the relationship with Him and if we're not familiar with His written word too. Because the more we're familiar with that, the more that we will be attuned to being able to hear what He has to say because God will never contradict His word when He speaks to us through the Holy Spirit and His rhema word. I want to invite the musicians forward. What you and I perceive about ourselves will affect our personal value and what we do. Satan wants to undermine your identity and position in Christ, to believe the lie that you're something else, and something else is always something less. Because most of the trappings are eternally worthless. As we conclude, let me ask each of us, what are you learning about who you are? And please understand, I do not have a high opinion of myself as the person bringing the word of God. This is something that I would not do if I did not sense God has very clearly called me to it. And I'm not saying that with, with a, an imaginary sign for the vote in two weeks.
God's word is so powerful and active, and it is alive. And I, I have no doubt that the Holy Spirit, through his word and through his presence, is saying many things to many of us about who we are. While we were praying before the service today, uh, and, I, and I know the musicians do too, absolutely love that time of prayer, right? They love that time of prayer. And uh, brother gave us a word today, and I want to I, I want to give this today, and then I want some time of silence. And at the end of that silence, we have another word that's going to be shared. In Habakkuk or Habakkuk two verses eighteen to twenty, this is this is what it says. Habakkuk had had. Uh, prayed to the Lord some concerns that he had. I'll put it nicely. Maybe there were complaints. And here's part of what the Lord said in response. He said, Of what value is an idol carved by a craftsman or an image that teaches lies? For the one who makes it trusts in his own creation. He makes idols that cannot speak. Woe to the one who says to wood, Come to life! Or to a lifeless stone, Wake up! Can it give guidance? That's a rhetorical question. The answer is no. It is covered with gold and silver. There is no breath in it. And then Habakkuk responds with these words. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. Brothers and sisters, friends, The Lord is in his holy temple. And that holy temple is not a physical place. It is in you. Paul was very clear, especially in his letter to the Corinthians. They were a messed up bunch. And he said, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So I want to take some time in silence before the Lord for us to be asking, Lord, Holy Spirit, who do I need to know that I am in you? If you want to ask him a different question, of course you may, of course you can. Let's take some time. The Lord is in his holy temple. And brothers and sisters, let's be very, very humble. That is in us. Now let's keep silent and listen and hear what he might have to say. It's complete silence. need times of silence to hear the whisper of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Debbie. You think you will lay down your treasures on earth. There are some who have been blinded by their ownership of their treasures 
It is nothing compared to the treasures awaiting in my kingdom for you. When you lay down and commit to allowing me to show you what I will be replacing for you, you will see how much the other was worthless. Some need to remove the obstacles in your path that you have placed there in order for me to direct your path. Allow my spirit to reveal to you what they are. For some, I have a new season I desire for you to walk in. But if you keep holding on to what is familiar because that it's safe, how can I use your gifts to complete the plan I have for you? It will be new, fresh, and it will bring glory to my name. Yes, my beloved, lay down what I'm asking you to lay down and take the steps I am leading you on with. Do not let comfort, fear, or doubt hold you back to but to what you are used to. It is a time to go deeper and seek me for next steps. It's all for your good and my glory. Would you say amen? Thank you, Lord. We receive that. And as we go into this singing this last song, I want you to know that, that, that when you need to go, you need to go. That's okay. But at the same time, I want to invite us today. What is the Holy Spirit saying to us today? What is the Holy Spirit saying to you? Is there anything you need to, any of those trappings that you need to shed or reprioritize? Those treasures. Do our treasures need to be re-identified? Or do we need that renewal of the mind that Romans 12 tells us about? If there's anything that the Holy Spirit's saying to you or has been saying to you that needs to be a good change, something needs to be released, something needs to be removed, something needs to be extracted, Something needs to be let go of. And I encourage you today that you make that commitment with the Lord. Not one you can't keep, but a commitment that invites Him into bringing about that renewal and that change. That you would even come to the altar as an acknowledgement to Him. And in, in humility, humility to say, Lord, it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me.